You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back Podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. Broadway fans might not immediately know her name, but soprano Sharon Ezrielli has enjoyed international success and numerous awards recognizing not only her as a performer in her native Canada, but around the world. In addition to opera, she is working in the Broadway genre as well. The reason I wanted to talk to her on this podcast was about all her philanthropic work in arts education, in her support of American-Israeli culture, and in creating her own foundation. Sharon, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, It's so fun to get to know somebody new. So a lot of times I have old friends on the podcast, but you're someone that I haven't met before. So I was thinking that I guess you as a an artist, as a singer, have to do warm-up exercises. So I figured let's do a little warm-up where I ask you a few rapid-fire questions and you answer them so I can get to know you better. Okay. Okay, so with the first thing that comes to your mind, if you could be part of any fictional family from a Broadway show or a movie, an opera, or a television show, what Ooh. family would you want to be a member of? Oh, I love that question. Oh, I the first... <laughs> You're probably, I don't know the, I don't know why this comes to my mind, but I would want to be a member of the Adams family. <laughs> do 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 do. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have to ask yourself, like, who do you want to be in that family? I just love, uh, and you know, this is terrible because now I forget the names of everybody, but I love the the. Um, Angelica, you know, um, Morticia, right? Morticia, right? Yeah. I just think she's fabulous. I just love her. And, you know, she has such a great relationship with her husband, right? Mm -hmm. And they're just madly in love after all those. I just, I think that's ideal. I just love that. (laughs) Okay. I love this answer. No one has ever said that before. So thank you for that. Sharon, what are three words that you would say describe you? So, uh, well, I think the first one would be persistent, right? Persistent. Uh, because I've, I've been in this uh, business or career for a really long time. Mm. And uh, you have to be persistent, right, in order to, to do that. The second one is, you know, yeah, I don't know if it's either stupid or not stupid, depending on the day, right? Because you have to be smart in some ways. And then I would say, so maybe that's the first one. But then on the other hand, you have to have blinders on. You know what I mean? In mm-hmm. another way, so that you ignore the difficulties in a certain way. I, I don't mean stupid, but I mean pointedly, willfully ignorant. If you were aware, or if you choose to be aware of all the difficulties. Mm-hmm. You'd probably give then, up, right? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So I think that goes with persistent. So yes, I see oh, it. I so see the I'm pattern sorry. here. I'm sorry no, that's good. Being a, no, 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 that's good. I think we're going to go with persistent, persistent, and persistent. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, but a smart kind of a persistent because you have to choose your, 
you know, choose your battles and you mm -hmm. have to uh, choose your, um, you know, your, your road. So where's your happy place? My happy place. I have a few. I think you have to have more than one. So a happy place can be, you know, half an hour of meditation. Mm -hmm. Happy place can be half an hour, in the, you know, giving my grandson. I have a new grandson. Oh, congratulations. So, so, yeah, my son got married very early, and then he had a baby right away. And so now I have a, a, a baby grandson. And so giving him a bath mm. is one of my best happy places. A uh, happy place can be, you know, exercising in the pool. Mm. I like the I like the grandson happy place. Yeah, yeah. That sounds yeah, wonderful. That's the, one of the best, yeah. So being an artist, I have to ask you, what is your favorite music or song or is there something special where you just hear something and it's like that's it that's the ultimate for me or that makes you that touches you more than anything else so that's you're asking all these wonderful questions and i would have to say does it depends on what am i working on at the moment mm. and i'm so lucky that i have gotten to work on such great music throughout my career and also, I'm lucky that at each moment or each, uh, you know, time in my life, what I have gotten to work on has been what I have loved. And or let's say I have loved everything that I've gotten to work mm -hmm. on. But I've also, you know, chosen like I remember when I was first starting, I just had graduated from Juilliard and um, I was offered uh, to to sing Lulu um, by Berg, you know, at the Canadian Opera. And I said, no, you know, because I didn't love it. And I was lucky enough, or maybe arrogant, I don't know. I just said, you know what, that's not why I went into opera. And mm. I was so, so lucky that the next thing that they offered me was um, to cover Juliet in Romeo and Juliet mm. and Mimi in La Boheme. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's more like it. And so I was so lucky that I got to sing those kind of roles. And and so, um, at each at each step, I would say I was lucky that I loved the music that I got to sing. And so recently, just now, I just made an album of uh, Michel Legrand music. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm moving into jazz now, and I love it. I always have loved jazz, and I just love this music. It's wonderful. Or I just made this album with the uh, legendary Frank Wildhorn. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be making another album with him this year coming up. So I'm I'm lucky. I, I just I love this music. That's awesome. Yeah. What do you most give a damn about? Oh. I mean, these days there's a lot to give a damn about. Yeah. Well, you don't want me to get started. <laughs> well, no, just, these are the short questions. We'll get into the longer questions later. So is there one thing where you just go, I care most about this right now, you know? Yeah, well, if you had to, if, I, I don't want to get into a whole political com conversation with you, but, you know, I, I was the first female cantor in Montreal. And so if you had to make me, you know, take a stand on something, it's probably going to be uh, women's rights. So if we're, I, but I, I, I don't want this to be, because we're talking about arts and philanthropy, but um, it is somewhere in the women's rights uh, discussion. Great. And what would you say you're most grateful for today? Oh, I I think I've had I've had, had the luckiest life in the world. I'm so grateful that I was able 
uh, to lead a life in the arts. Yes, mm. yes. Thank God. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was reading about your background, and I'm so impressed because it seems that whatever you do, you really dig in, um, whether it's you know, per, you know, professionally, artistically, and you also philanthropically, you dig in and you do the work. Um, you don't just put your, you know, your money into it. You you put all your energy into the causes that are important to you. So before we jump in and talk about that, I want to talk to you a little bit about your background and your childhood, because typically that informs so much of why a person does become an activist or a philanthropist. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the young Sharon? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, uh, my father was a Holocaust survivor. And um, my so, mother was uh, my mother was too, by the way. Oh wow! Uh, my dad was born in Poland. Where was your mom? Born? Vienna. Oh wow! Wow. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe you have a similar experience to mine. But uh, growing up, you know, my father didn't like to talk at all about his experience, and I think I didn't even know that my father. I think we thought that my father was born in Israel actually until he we until I was sixteen. And we only found out like by accident, it was this big drama. He just didn't like to talk about it. But we were, I was not brought up with money at all. Um, my dad didn't, you know, really become successful until a little bit later in my life. And so, and he didn't want me to be a singer. So that was mm. the big sort of, uh, sort of uh, story of, of my life that he didn't want me to be a singer. Being a performer is not a valued uh, sort of profession in my family, architect, you know, Indian chief, doctor, lawyer, right. that that would have been much mm -hmm. better. So he said to me, um, you know, I'll give you voice lessons if you get into Juilliard. And that's a bit of a catch-22 because, you know, in order to get into Juilliard, you sort of have to already know how to sing. Mm. So my first degree was art history. My second degree was uh, I could draw. I could have probably been an architect. But I really had that thing in my belly, you know, that fire in my belly that I really wanted to sing. So I I left, I went to New York City, and I made jewelry in the streets. I ran from the cops. I worked a few jobs. And it did. It took me uh, three auditions to get into Juilliard, which, you know, persistent, I look at Mike. Persistent, yeah. persistent, persistent. <laughs> That's why I was saying that. Um, so my parents were very philanthropic, um, you know, and my, we are, as a family, we do give back in terms of education, 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 and we, um, you know, we have this uh, very large foundation now. And so, uh, but I would say that our focus is absolutely on education. And me personally, mm -hmm. my focus uh of my personal philanthropy is absolutely education and I love to teach and um, women, women and children. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but I want to, I want to talk a little bit about your career first. So Juilliard, that's so impressive and so interesting. Um, yeah, but I was accepted to Manhattan School of Music. I was accepted to Indiana, all these mm. other places, but that wasn't good. All <laughs> that right. wasn't good enough. Well, I have to tell you, like, my mother was a huge opera fan. I mean, she loved it, and she played it all the time. I, um, It's a bit foreign to me, um, so you're going to have to take me sort of through, you know, your career in, in, in opera. And then, of course, I really want to hear about your work in Broadway as well. I don't think there's that much to tell. I mean, I, I got out of school. 
And I immediately, I was lucky. I immediately started a career, Canadian Opera Company, Sarasota, Opera de Paris à la Bastille, you know, and I was, I was very lucky. And I, I, I started a, a good career. I loved, uh, opera is wonderful. Opera is, you know, uh, well, if you love Broadway, it's, it's very similar, except no microphones, <laughs> huge orchestra, and, um, even bigger egos, I would say. Huh. Except even bigger, except that the egos are mostly the, con the conductor, mm. <laughs> not really the singers. The singers, I would not not say have the biggest egos in opera, because you're a team. You know, you're it's a team sport, right? Right. Every and it's it's uh, has much less leeway than in Broadway. Right in Broadway, I think the the conductor actually accompanies the singers, but in opera, it's like everybody's on a riding a huge, huge horse, and the horse has to go, and you're on the same. You're absolutely bound by that rhythmic train, and you cannot be a fraction of a beat wrong or off. It's like you know when you're jumping rope. And you've yeah. got to get in. You've mm -hmm. got to get in mm -hmm. exactly right. And depending on the opera, it can be extremely complicated. Not to mention that the orchestra can look at their music, but the singers are all memorized in their music. They're memorized in their language. They're memorized in their words. And they have to be totally precise, you know? That's so interesting because you're right. Like Broadway, it's very collaborative, right? With yeah the people on stage but also with the the band or the orchestra depending on the show um so this i i understand that now like your wave that you're surfing is the is the music right yeah yeah but in opera you know i don't think people understand and so some some of the larger opera houses like the met mm -hmm. or you know the the ones in europe they still have a prompter right who is under it's like this person this wonderful person who knows every word of every like for example the metropolitan opera is such a huge house it's five thousand seats right mm -hmm. and by the time you're singing all the way back there there's actually acoustically a lapse in time so that you're singing and by the if you look at the conductor's little hand all the way <laughs> maybe it's like a quarter of a mile Okay, by the time you reach him, you're going to be late. So you actually can't look at the conductor. You have to look at the prompter. And the prompter, this little person in their little booth under the stage, is telling you when to actually sing. And they're giving you, thank God, they're giving you the first syllable of your, of your word. Because you want to be actually in the timing with the prompter, not the conductor. Because the conductor is conducting the orchestra who's actually way far ahead of you. Do you, wow. you understand what I'm yes, saying? Yes, I do. This is fascinating. I didn't expect to learn so much today. This is great. Right? But yeah. But in a Broadway production, in a Broadway production, you actually you don't know where the band might be. The band might be up above you. They could be on either side of you. Mm -hmm. They could split up the the um they can split them up. But you have a mic on you and you have ears in you and you, you know, and there and you have prompter uh teleprompters, right? On mm -hmm. either side of you. So you have a much more collaborative feel. You're like inside of the band. Right, right, and you, and nobody's going to really go on without you. But in opera, if you screw up by one half of a beat, one quarter of a eighth note, whatever you do, bam, they're going on without you. They don't care. Wow, the sh like the show must go on. Uh -huh. 
in opera, that so much more applies than, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's so interesting. Tell us a little bit about your Broadway work. So in Broadway, I mean, I, ha I have not been lucky enough to be actually on Broadway yet. It is a dream. It is a really big dream of mine. Um, played in Atlanta, in uh, in uh, southeastern Savoyards, you know, in a, in Gilbert and Sullivan. I mm. loved it. I did uh, actually with Atlanta Opera. We did uh, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan. I did do a lot of recording for Off Broadway in the uh, Fiddler on the Roof recording, and I've done Broadway recording with a great, brilliant, wonderful conductor Marvin Laird. And with the Frank Lee Sharon uh, recording with Frank Waldorn. Mm -hmm. And the orchestrator for that just had his show on Broadway, Jason Howland. Amazing, right. wonderful orchestrator and arranger and composer. And uh, I'm about to make my second uh, Frank Waldhorn album. So, and I have things that I can't say yet, but oh, I hope okay. are. No spoilers. I hope will happen. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be back, I hope, to tell I you. hope so, yeah. Yes. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about your philanthropic work. So let's go back to education. It's you know it's interesting because people get um, involved in different causes and charities, and there's usually like a reason. It either it touches them because they had or they didn't have it, or a family member is you know is impacted by something. Um, but education seems to be one of those things where you know pretty much everybody can rally around the fact that education is really important. Um, arts education, you know, not everybody values that the same way as we know here it's in so America. True. It's, it's, but yeah. but I'm a huge, you know, arts education to me is just so important because it informs so much of who you are as a person, right? Yep. Um, yep. Whether you have, you know, I mean, I have no talent whatsoever. So, but you oh, know, don't I, say that. Uh, well, you know what? Though my mom, you know, again, Holocaust survivor, came here, but for her, you know, culture and arts were really important. So growing up in Los Angeles, we went to the opera, we went to hear, you know, orchestras, we went to Broadway shows that were on tour here, we went to art festivals. So she felt like arts education was part of sort of my cultural diet and and and, right. and that was really important. And I'm, you know, there's proof that that does make you a more well-rounded person, a more empathetic person. It helps you with your other parts of education. So so tell us why and how you came to, you know, focus on on education in your philanthropic endeavors. Well, first of all, I want to say that I do also support, like, for example, this past year, especially with COVID, I uh, gave a, there's a wonderful organization in Canada called Shade Doors, which is homeless shelters for women. That's very important to me. Uh, they do, it's, it's really, and I was thinking about that, like, there's places that I'd like to know more about that give shelter to, to women. This is very important. Um, but very much like I just created a program in Montreal, uh, which is a collaborative pianist uh, uh, education. So, for example, singers need pianists, right? And but who teaches the pianists, right? So, for example, for opera, for example, we we singers we need to learn French, we need to learn Italian, we need to learn German, we need to learn all these languages. So, who's going to teach us those? Well, normally it's a coach. Or if you're a jazz singer, you know, who's going to be the, who's going to teach us those songs? That's the coach. Who teaches the coach, right? Mm -hmm. How do the, how do the pianists learn? So I created a program for pianists, right? That's going to bring the best of all the coaches to teach the pianists. Then the pianists are going to go out there and teach the singers. So that's a collaborative program between 
University of Montreal, and McGill. Mm. I think it's the first of its kind, actually, in Canada, so I'm really uh, proud about it. I created a program uh, for the Israeli Foundation, which is a the first of its kind composition prize for new Jewish music. And the idea is to get composers to create new music. The first prize was for new Jewish music. And then the second prize is Canadian music, actually. So the question is, well, what is Jewish music? Which has sparked a whole debate, which is very interesting. And, and what, what is, is Canadian, Canadian music? music? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's a fascinating question, but you have to go on to the Israeli Foundation uh, website. Now the third one, that uh, fourth and last final prize that we're going to be launching this year is an international prize. So anybody from anywhere can go onto the website and apply for this prize. And it is, so if you're Ukrainian, write Ukrainian music. Mm. If you're Viennese, write Viennese music, you know, whatever is your affiliation, whatever is your, in your heart, mm -hmm. uh, write that. So I'm very excited. And these are all through your foundation. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you establish your foundation? That's the Family Foundation, the okay. Azraeli Foundation. I think it was established in 1989. And the mission, what's the mission for the uh, foundation? Uh, it's, I'm not going to, it's too big uh, to tell <laughs> you here on the website. So everybody can just go on azraelifoundation.org. You know, as far as the programs, so you just mentioned a few, but I know that you're involved in so many other things. And I just wondered, you know, sort of looking at the bigger picture, it sounds like arts education, particularly music, women's rights these are things that are that really touch your heart right that are passion points yeah. for you and your philanthropy any other causes uh children i think that oh so another thing that i really got into this past two years uh there's a program that was started in venezuela um and now a big proponent a big the biggest uh success story is gustavo dudamel i'm sure you've heard of yes, him. yes absolutely so it's called el sistema right and they took these kids, you know, off the street and they gave them like, you know, basically toy instruments and they made musicians out of them. Mm. And so we've been trying to do that in Canada. I sang in Miami uh, two years ago, mm -hmm. I think right before COVID. And the uh, conductor was a very big uh, proponent of this. And it's something that I'd really like to, I'd really like to get more involved in. So the idea is to offer children after school programming to enhance their arts education, their music. Music, yeah. music, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that idea. I know that we've got, you know, here in the US, there are lots of organizations that that do that as well, um, particularly for, you know, students who, who are at risk and doesn't, don't have those services as part of their, their curriculum in school. Um, and, you know, philanthropy though, it seems to me something that obviously is a big part of your family. Do you all sit around and discuss, hey, here are the things that are important, or hey, let's focus on this strategy, or you know, how do you decide what you're going to support? Is it like a family meeting? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, actually, it, the foundation is quite a large foundation. Yeah. Yes, actually, we have uh, quarterly meetings. It's not just uh, the family. There are four outside directors, and people will bring organizations that have to be charitable organizations. You know, they have to meet certain criteria. They have to be good. Right. <laughs> and they have to be vetted. And, and we, we really do a lot of work. We really look into them and we 
So you're not just you're not just writing a check. You're actually no, no, no. You no. actually dig in and 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 oh yeah. And not only that, but for example, in the program that I created, I mean, I actually well, I sit on an advisory council, and we have juries for each of the prizes, and mm -hmm. I spend I spend many, many, many hours per month. I mean, the applications for the for the compositions come in, and I have to actually go through each one to see, do they meet the criteria? No, it's a huge job. Yeah, it sounds it's really, yeah. And yeah. making the commitment to, you know, that time commitment, that's a big time commitment. Yeah. yeah. You know, the listeners to this podcast, they often ask, you know, we don't have a big bank account where we can write lots of checks. Um, and we don't have a social media platform where we can talk about things that are important to us. What advice would you give people listening to this podcast um, about how they could become more philanthropic? I often hear people say, just get involved in some organization that you like as a volunteer, you know? So for example, one of the fa my favorite orchestras that I've tried to help is a local orchestra you know, where I actually grew up because my father was friends with the uh, first violinist when he was young. Mm. And, and, and then when I was first becoming a singer, the uh, conductor actually gave me one of my first jobs singing. And so I kept in touch with that orchestra. And then as I became more philanthropic, I started to help them. And I got onto their board and I tried to help them to raise money. And I noticed that they have a wonderful cadre of volunteers. And so what I would say is to people who don't have a lot of money to help, you know, in terms of just money, find something that you love. Like if you love going to the opera, then maybe they need volunteers in your local, if you have a local opera company, mm -hmm. or if you love going to to theater, maybe there's a local theater that needs people to to help, I don't know, give out programs mm -hmm. or to help to be on their PR. I think every organization locally can use volunteers. That's what I, that's yeah, what I would give, say. Give get, local, get involved. yeah, so participate yeah. locally. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, that's a really, that's really good advice. Give, give time. Mm -hmm. If you don't have money, give time. Oh, nice quote. And plus, it's a beautiful uh, uh, community building exercise. And I think, you know, another thing that happened with COVID, everybody has been in their house, you know, for three years. Everybody's been, you know, quite uh, say like stuck at home. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, um, it, everybody's dying to get out a little bit, you know, but also afraid. So maybe people are afraid to go into the theater, but maybe there's a way sort of an in-between step, you know? So maybe the, the local theater has a meeting, you know, where it's not, you know, hundreds of people, but maybe it's just 10 or 20 and you can get involved in their board. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, also, yeah, I mean, it's funny because we've been talking about this. So Re-entry into the real world, you know, I mean, some people are just like, okay, I'm ready. And they just, you know, boom back in. But I know that I, you know, have, um, I had to go slow to get back into the world again. Um, yeah. Because I was so used to sort of my, this different life, <laughs> yeah. this different beat to my life, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, and different cadence. So it's taken me a little bit of time to sort of jump back into the, you know, New York crazy scene again. Yeah, a lot of people are not ready to go into a closed room with three hundred people. They're just not. Like I noticed in in performances, like especially older people. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. 
So, but but yet they crave, uh, you know, the community. Absolutely, and doing it locally is smaller and maybe more manageable. So, I mean, I think the idea of giving locally and being part of your community is is definitely something I keep hearing as a theme about people wanting to give back, starting locally, starting smaller. And you're right, after COVID, I, that could be a nice first step. Some uh, one of my local philanthropies. Uh, that I help with uh, was doing small concerts, going to people's houses and performing in their backyards and performing like a few neighboring uh, people would, uh, they would perform in backyards for like little neighborhoods, mm -hmm. you know? That's, that was really nice. That's really nice. Yeah, that's very nice. Um, any last words about the idea of giving back and philanthropy and just doing good in the world? Yeah, they say that uh, the more that you do, the more it helps you, yourself. I don't know. I think it's probably true. I think it's probably true, too. So in which case, you do a lot. So I hope you feel really good about yourself because you should. Yeah, I think. And, I, and, I, and the other thing I would say is do what you love. Thank you. Well, I loved having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, editor, and friend, Jim Lochner. And thank you to everyone at BPN, including Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and Kimberly Garris. I'd also like to thank Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency and Eric Becker from Broderick Street Music. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast and on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit vpn.fm slash Broadway Gives Back. Thanks so much. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.